0: Watchers in the 4th Dimension can't, I can't keep it up. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the 4th Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And you are proud, little man! This episode, we are tackling John Pertwee's swan song in Planet of the Spiders. But before that, Riley's going to take a quick look at the mail. Over to you, Riley.
1: Thanks, Anthony. We got some general feedback... First from Fraser Watson. Hey guys, loving the show. It's the perfect companion for watching all of Classic Who for the first time. Also, shout out to my friend Molly for letting me use her BritBox account. I love the mix of perspectives from longtime fans of the episodes to first time watchers and the banter is top notch. Have to say that I'm Team Riley on the rights. Oh my hey. God. No, stop <laughs> booing. Stop booing. There's nothing wrong with it. There are dozens of us. Dozens <laughs> Oh dear. I know the number of potholes are ridiculous, but I just loved it. I'm on to the we era now, so I'm dreading having to wait two whole weeks between episodes, but looking forward to them all the same. Thanks so much for making this show. Thank you. Nicholas Rutherford says, I've just finished my watch through of the Pertwee years, something I've never done before and totally inspired by you for. I really enjoyed the experience of watching them all in order, rather than randomly as before, as I got to reevaluate his era. It was consistently good, but he definitely got more likable from season 9 onwards. (laughs) Seasons 10 and 11 were better than I remembered, even if I prefer some of the stories from the first two seasons. And for the record, I think Monster of Peladon is the worst third Doctor story. Frontier, my least favorite of season 10, is nowhere near. Well, thank you, Nicholas. I'm glad that we inspired you. We received a lot... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of comments about Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Keith Burton in response to a comment that Anthony made on our Facebook group on Malcolm Hulk satirizing communist China. Keith says, as I remember it, the limp collection of knitted scarves that comprise the spaceship colonists were not a critique of China. Malcolm Hulk was a committed communist. Previous stories demonstrated his contempt for blinkered politicians, the old school Thai mentality, and the British ruling class. That comes through even stronger in his novelizations. However, by the mid-70s, he had tired of the constant infighting and utopian dreaming in the British Communist Party. Rather than change society, he found the middle-class dinner party dreamers he fell in with preferred to just sit around making bad wood carvings and sneering at society rather than change it. Ruth, in particular, is a batting satire on the head of the British Communist Party at the time. There is an article in Doctor Who magazine a few years ago that went into much more detail. Nathan Laws is not get in on this discussion about Malcolm Hulk and communism. He says, I'm really glad to see that you guys like this one. This is one of my favorite Pertwee serials, despite the fact that it always falls towards the bottom of fan polls, where I think people just can't see past the horrible dinosaurs. Keith Burton was going to bring up what I was going to bring up. We see in both this and Frontier in Space that Hulk, despite being on the side of the communists, was very disillusioned with them hence the peace party and frontier is also pretty ineffectual and not very intelligent i honestly think that's one of the strengths of this area in general because despite having very opinionated people running the show they challenged each other to find the flaw in their own ideologies so Terrence Dix, an imperialist has to edit stories about the flaws of empire hulk has to write about the flaws of left-wing political activists and so on and made sure that the characters stayed at least somewhat multidimensional. also the humobile is awesome
0: disagree mm. hard disagree <laughs> Just on the car. Exactly. (laughs) More on that later. Yes.
1: J.M. Casey says that I am glad... Everyone had a good time with the story. All the negativity it receives is really just over those dinosaurs. The other aspects of the story are better, and if even the awesome twist is a repeat of what we saw in Enemy of the World, and even with everyone new being a part of the conspiracy, it comes off pretty well. I've sometimes wondered if this story would have been better with Joe in it. It would have been interesting to see her reaction to Yates' disillusionment and defection. But, you guys are right, Sarah is great here and definitely shows herself to be a different sort of character from her predecessor. David Campbell says the dino disaster of the model work always reminded me of the Chewitz monster, but actually that's unfair to the Chewitz monster, which is way more animated and expressive. You can find this on YouTube. I looked this up because I was unfamiliar with the Chewitz monster. It reminds me of the Abominable Snowman from the Rudolph Christmas special. That's the level (laughs) we're
0: talking about. And just to add to that, we will put a link to that in the show description on your podcasting app. So if you're curious about the Chewitz monster, go and click on the YouTube link. It'll be down there.
1: Alan Dakin says, if I'm pronouncing that right, Alan, I, I hope I did, says, I wish they would redo this with CGI dinos over top of the rubber ones. I disagree. I like the dated quality of the
0: rubber dinosaurs
2: there's no need to redo these things it's why clash of the titans the original is so wonderful true don't redo things
0: and if they were going to spend money on this one i would much prefer that it was done to properly recolorize episode one
3: or just convert all of them to black and white that
1: Kieran James Evans says, I always find this one lesser than the sum of the parts. Probably a 7 out of 10. I still like it, but probably wouldn't rush to rewatch it on repeat. It's a shame that it's the last Hulk script. I would have been interested to see how he would have written for the fourth Doctor under Holmes and Hinchcliffe. Nicholas Rutherford says, as you all said, it was a fun story with great direction, only let down by some dodgy dinos. But I love the shots of the Doctor fighting off a pterodactyl with a mop. Classic. Up there with the Doctor in drag and the green death. Agreed. Blue Box Charm says, black and white definitely improves the watching experience for me. First time I saw this one was on my parents' six-inch portable television, which was black and white. I loved it, still do, though the initial transition to color is still jarring on the rewatch. We all agree with you on that one. And Beardo Beatnik says, this is the episode where we can all see that Benton and Yates deserve their own spinoff. Yates as ham-fisted and bumbly tries to become an evil villain, while Bitten foils his plots with ease and style. But this episode, <laughs> I give seven out of ten T-Rex cliffhangers. Hey. <laughs> well, there is no more dino mail. You could say they have gone extinct. Over to you, Anthony. Oh, no.
0: One other thing, Nick Rutherford did actually send us some pictures of deserted London from the beginning of the pandemic, which were eerily similar to what you see in episode one of Invasion of the Dinosaurs. We will share those on our Facebook and Instagram with kind permission from Nick. So keep an eye out for those. Riley, thank you very much for going through all of that. And as a reminder to our listeners, we really love hearing all of your feedback, comments and questions. And as you've heard, we do try to read out as many as possible. You can get us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at watches 4 d or via email at watches4d at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, so please do send us a note. And looking behind the scenes on Planet of the Spiders, the original proposal for the story for this slot was very different to the one that we got. During production of Season 10, Roger Delgado, otherwise known as The Master, went to producer Barry Letts and asked that his character be written out of the show, as producers of other shows believed that Delgado was still working full-time on Doctor Who, and he was struggling to get other work as a result. Letts and his writing partner Robert Sloman started work on a serial to write him out, commissioned with the tentative title of The Final Game. This story was to culminate in The Master sacrificing himself to save the Doctor's life. Unfortunately, Delgado tragically lost his life in a car accident in Turkey in 1973, and the plans for the end of season 11 had to be changed at a very early stage of planning. Not only that, but Delgado's death was also the catalyst that led to the breakup of the team that had steered the show for the best part of five seasons. By the end of 1973, Letts, script editor Terence Dix, and John Pertwee had all made their decision to leave the show at the end of season 11. Pertwee in particular often cited the death of his friend as one of the key factors in his departure. To write out The Third Doctor, Sloman was asked to write a new serial under the original commission in order to bring The Third Doctor's tenure to an end. Letts and Sloman worked closely together on the storyline, which drew on Eastern philosophies to have The Doctor explore his own destructive thirst for knowledge. The story had the working title of The Planet of the Spiders, which would eventually be truncated down to simply Planet of the Spiders. Let's was very keen to reward Pertwee for five years of service to the show, and gave the Doctor an extended chase sequence over land, air, and sea that took up much of the story's second episode. (laughs) Let's also saw the serial as an opportunity to revisit the character of Mike Yates, whom they had decided against killing off at the end of Invasion of the Dinosaurs, and give him a redemption arc. It was also decided to revisit several elements from Season 10, including the planet Metabilus 3 and the Doctor's quest for the planet's blue crystal. And it was Terence Dix that suggested that Joe Grant could be involved by having her return the crystal to the doctor by mail. Imagine if it had got lost. The scripts also looked a bit forward. Unit's medical officer, Sullivan, is mentioned, and while he doesn't appear in this story, he will be seen on screen in the season to come. As we've noted, as we've discussed previous serials, Letts had negotiated for himself to have the option to direct one serial a year. Having last directed 1973's Carnal of Monsters, he chose to direct Planet of the Spiders himself, at last fulfilling an ambition to direct a story that he had had a hand in writing. To make Pertwe's final story more memorable, he assembled a cast which largely consisted of Pertwee's friends, along with the return of actors from all of his time in the show, predominantly people who he liked. This cast also included Kismet Delgado, widow of Roger, as one of the voices of one of the spiders. Joining Let's on the production side, we have a number of returning faces. George Galassio returns as production unit manager, Dudley Simpson returns to provide incidental music, and L. Roland Warren provides costumes for the second time, having previously done so for Death of the Daleks. As designer, we have Rochelle Selwyn's only ever contribution to the show, and she is also known for her work on Zed Cars, Dixon of Dock Green, Grange Hill, and EastEnders. The serial had a number of issues in production and post-production. Firstly, shoots frequently overran, mostly due to the complex effects shots. There's one particularly well-known story about Barry Letts becoming absolutely furious after studio electricians cut off power when one day of shooting overran by 30 minutes, and they wanted to go home. In editing, Letts found that part three was running short. To try to remediate this, material from Part 4 was moved into Part 3, but this then led to Part 4 running short. Similar changes were made to Part 5, but the problem arose when there wasn't a cliffhanger worthy moment in the opening scenes of Part 6, and so a scene was awkwardly brought out of sequence from the action to become the cliffhanger at the end of Part
3: 5. Did he consider a
0: dramatic shot of the floor? (laughs) (laughs) Think you missed the trick there.
2: We'll discuss later.
0: We will. Completion of this serial marked the end of season 11, but filming didn't stop there. Like in previous years, one more serial was recorded at the end of the production block and held over for the next season, and thus the production team went straight on to recording Pertwee's successor's debut, but more on that in a future episode. The completed serial was broadcast between the 4th of May and 8th of June, 1974. Part 1 pulled in over 10 million viewers, while the final episode attracted a viewership of 8.9 million. Not a bad audience for John Pertwee's Swan Song. It's time for our short summary, which is in my hands this episode. John Pertwee's final story and the production team went all out to make sure that this serial has everything. A 12-minute long chase sequence, unintentionally racist character portrayals, gadgets we've never seen before and will never see again, fake-out decks, giant insects, inaccurate representations of Buddhism, references to stories that most people have already forgotten ever happened, a redemption arc for a character that nobody particularly cares about, a miraculous (laughs) cure for a mentally disabled bloke, and Roger Delgado's widow. I can't quite tell if this is all highly offensive a good send-off for the Pert, or both so let's talk about it to figure it all out <laughs>
1: oh boy
3: i was waiting for you to add and dan cortez at the end but you never did so. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: man. and dan cortez there, there you go. go
1: oh geez louise this one it starts off good though the doctor and the brig going out for a little nighttime entertainment
0: the
2: first part is Mike Yates walking in a field with cows.
1: And that's as good as it gets. But he looks good with his new hair. Come on, give him a break. Obviously, they're giving the production team is giving the people what they want. Give us more Yates. Quiet reflection Yates. Yes. It's
0: actually the best Yates we've had.
2: It is the best Yates we've
1: had. It really is. I don't know
3: where they get off making me care about Mike Yates as a character in his last two stories, but he's not very sneaky.
2: Oh, absolutely not.
3: I like the fact that they're foreshadowing the spiders, even though it's given away in the title. But still, come on, dude.
0: Also, starting out with chanting around religious symbols in a basement. Is this the demons? I wish. It's certainly not Buddhism.
2: <laughs> like they were trying to reference the demons. Again, since this is the last part, We they were going for how many things can we refer back to? And I think this is definitely a demons reference. Yeah.
0: That said, I do love the idea of the Doctor and the Brigadier having a night out together, going to see a variety show, and bringing one of the performers back to the lab with them. Yeah,
1: that was one of the best scenes in the entire serial. Just their back and forth reacting to the performances, that was wonderful.
3: You know what I love about this scene? How utterly cheap it is. Oh, yeah. They've just got some folding chairs set up, a few people there to kind of fill it out a bit.
2: And they don't even show the performers at all.
0: Nope. Just some sound effects, but it works. You actually believe for the first time that the Doctor and the Brigadier are more than just colleagues. They're actually friends and going out for a night of fun together.
2: You know what I still can't stand, though? The Brigadier not in uniform. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't look right at
1: all.
3: As long as he still has the mustache.
1: You know what I can't get out of my mind? The Brigadier saying extraordinary muscular control.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: He was thirsting hard.
0: Yes, he was. Whatever was going on there, yes.
2: What's great about that is, while it's going back and forth between all of them, I got a chanting intensifies <laughs> from the closed <laughs> captions. Nice which is always wonderful.
0: Let's talk about Professor Clegg, because they bring him back to the lab. And of course, it's Cyril Shapps, who we've seen before in the Tomb of the Cybermen and the Ambassadors of Death as generic nervous scientist.
2: His vocabulary is wonderful. perspicacious, or however you pronounce that word. Dear God. <laughs> he was very well spoken for someone who is not an actual professor.
0: And I love the extremely bad CSO demo of his abilities with physical manifestations and psychokinesis, followed by the, I can't keep it up. Yeah, Professor, a lot of men have that problem at your age.
1: You have to appreciate that was an interesting twist. Like you wonder, where's the doctor going with this? And then you find out that the twist is that he isn't a fraud. He actually does have these abilities. And that's a really interesting little bit, like you have a hiding in plain sight kind of idea.
3: And the doctor figures it out in a scene we don't get to see. So that's always nice.
0: (laughs) And then, of course, he gets hooked up to another headset and killed because you can't have him around for too long. Well, after the convenient arrival of the Blue Crystal. Yes. But we do get to see the return of Drashigs on screen.
2: (laughs) Oh, Dishrex, yes. I liked Professor Clegg, so I was sad that he died in the episode he was introduced. It was very depressing.
3: It felt a
0: bit unnecessary, didn't it?
3: Both him and the return of the crystal seemed a little shoehorned in to get the plot going. I was disappointed that he perished so early as soon as they were done with him. Like, okay, well, we've got the crystal and we've got you to cause this, so bye now. And then no one cared.
1: Yeah, you feel like that's going to be a character arc for him is that he doesn't want people to know that he has this ability. So you're going to think like, oh, he's going to be along for this adventure. He's going to have moments where he's going to be tasked with doing one of these abilities in order to rise to the occasion, but he doesn't want to because he doesn't want to out himself. Would have been interesting. No, nah, killed him off.
2: And- as he's hooked up to these machines, we get an excellent moment where Benton comes in and he's like, doctor, doing a bit of hairdressing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I knew you were going to mention that. And then Benton's little smile when they're reading out Joe's letter and she describes him as my lovely Sergeant Benton. Adorable.
3: I really liked it when Benton was really excited about talking about his method for making coffee. So- yes,
2: And just the fact that the doctor was nice enough to mention, hey, I really appreciate you doing this and that you're good at it. Whereas, you know, the brigadier is just like, I'm going to steal your tea.
0: (laughs) Also, in Joe's letter, there's a ton of continuity, but it's addressed to the doctor or the brigadier or Yates or Benton. And then it just sinks in that she has no idea about Yates. That's really sad to me.
2: Don't make me cry, Anthony.
0: Sorry. Let's switch track and talk a little bit about goings-on at the monastery. What type of
1: monastery is this? It's like a convention for bland middle-aged Englishmen. Yes. It's a very non-diverse group of people for a Tibetan meditation
0: center. That is just really weird. All led by a monk who is played by an Australian dude in Yellowface.
1: Yeah, I was sitting there and thinking, like, is he trying to affect a very stereotypical Asian accent here? I can't really. Oh, there it is. There it yes, is. Yes, yes, he yeah. is. And like, at first, I'm like, he isn't doing this really, is he? Well, oh, yep,
0: he is. That's Kevin Lindsay, who also played Commander Lynx in The Time Warrior.
2: I prefer him as
0: a Santaran. <laughs> definitely seems a little less racist. Unless you're Santaran. <laughs> don't get me wrong i have no doubt that this wasn't intended as racism oh. but in 2022 yeah. it comes across as hella racist oh yeah
2: it's one of those situations where you would have hoped the casting could have been done better but they also work with a limited cast and options and they wanted to go with someone that they had used before so yeah it's a difficult thing
0: or just have him as a white dude with his natural accent. When we meet Campo, they don't try and Asianify him. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think the whole character to me felt very unnecessary. It added a layer of convolution that didn't really pay off for me.
2: Yeah, I agree. There was a point when I was sitting there, I was like, maybe he's in on it, but that's not really what happened. If they had actually made him a part of it and that he was like a manifestation of the spiders instead of a oh. manifestation of the lead bunk, that would have been
0: really cool. He's there to basically spout off some... Parables and shit, right? He talks about (laughs) a man must go inside and face his fears and his hopes, his hates and his loves, and watch them wither away. And then he says, The old man must die, and the new man will discover to his inexpressible joy that he has never existed. I mean, he's talking about what the third doctor is going to have to do and how he'll become the fourth doctor.
3: Oh, I know what he's there for, but they could have had the main monk character do it and not have all that, oh, he's a projection of like,
0: whatever. And then you could have still had surprise monk regeneration at the end. Yeah.
2: Can we talk about Tommy?
0: Yes, we can talk about Tommy. Oh, Tommy. Tommy. Look, pretty flower.
2: Tommy obviously reminds me of flowers of Algernon. Yes. 100%. That's the big one. But it also reminded me of In the Mind of Evil,
1: oh. the character
2: that we had there. And I'm so glad that this ended better for Tommy.
1: Yeah, it wasn't yes. looking too good for him towards the end, though. But yes, he pulled through.
2: But I just liked his introduction. I thought the actor played him well, and I appreciate that it wasn't that he just all of a sudden was brilliant. I like how they set up the character. I like how they worked with him, and we'll get to more later.
3: I didn't like how mean everyone was to him.
2: I don't like it, but I think that that is probably an accurate representation of how someone would be treated in that manner in a place where it's all white, middle-aged men.
3: It's accurate, (laughs) but you would think people at a allegedly buddhist center would be a bit kinder, more enlightened.
2: You do know that the one guy was there so that he could get power, right? (laughs) But that's just
0: one guy. (laughs) There, There has
3: to be more people. I'm hoping there's more people there. Otherwise, everyone
0: under this monk is a bad guy or just a follower. It's Lupton and his cronies, and then Yates and Tommy, and that seems to be it. So bizarre. And even Yates has his moments. I mean, when Sarah gives Tommy her brooch... Yates comments about shameless display of feminine wiles. I mean, what a dick. (laughs) Even reformed Yates is a bit of a dick.
2: Except that was a direct statement after she had mentioned something to him about being such a man with the car. Yeah, that's true. That's what it was.
1: Let's not paint over that very important scene in the car. This is our first dialogue scene with Yates talking to someone who knows what he did and experienced his betrayal very personally. I don't think it sells it well enough. I don't think they do a good job enough with it because it really feels like Yates looks over at Sarah Jane and says, remember that whole golden age phase I had back in high school? I'm totally past that now, man. <laughs> totally past My it. Knew me, Knew me.
2: But the direction was interesting because we got a lot of close-up in the car shots and that was kind of fun.
1: A lot of film
3: use too. Reminded me of Spearhead. And stuff looked really good and wasn't just bad CSO that
0: we got later on. I'm quite excited <laughs> for when they release this one on Blu-ray just for those scenes. I think those are going to look great cleared up. We end this one when they summon a spider, basically. Claire grabs the crystal, absolute mayhem breaks out, he dies, and then Lupton and his crew manifest a giant spider. And that's our cliffhanger that takes us into part two.
1: It starts off with a very basic rule that Lupton... Fails, which is when a giant talking spider tells you to turn around, don't. That
3: is good advice.
1: Just don't do that.
2: Isn't there something in New Who that is a bug?
1: Turn left. That has to be calling back to this. 100%.
2: As soon as it attached to the back, I was like, hey, wait a second. I've seen that in New Who.
1: Well, it's episode two. Only five minutes of things take place in it. So let's go.
2: And I'll talk about one of the things that made me the most upset. Something happens and the doctor was going to do something, and Benton was like, No, I have to do it because I'm expendable and you're not. And I just about died. I was looking like, into Benton, the crystal. No. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Sometimes I worry about Benton because of how easily he accepts everything and will say things like that. It worries me just a little bit.
2: Oh, man. Anyway, so I needed to just mention that before we get to the big, I'm a James Bond fanboy.
0: Oh, oh, boy. We have two other things I want to point out. One is the doctor telling the story of the hermit on his home planet. That comes back. And the second one is Yates also being kind to Tommy and giving him his necklace. It's one of those things where everyone evil is a dick to Tommy. Everyone good is really nice to Tommy. And it's just so painfully black and white. There are no shades of gray in this story. He's your evil detector.
3: (laughs) Before we get back to our discussion of Cloudy with a Chance of Metabilis... (laughs) I just want to talk about the monk thing and the hermit. I don't believe it for a second. I don't picture a young William Hartnell doing that. It just seems so out of character, and it seems like it's just trying to add something to canon, and I cannot accept it. Am I alone in this?
2: I thought it was like when he was a kid. Very, very young.
0: Yeah. Even then, it just doesn't ring right with me. I think by this point... William Hartnell had left the show like eight years before this. So most people have forgotten what he was like by this time.
2: I think it was a very, very young kid thing where he interacted with this hermit. And then as he got older, he got disillusioned and was like, nope, don't care. That's the way I took it. Probably shouldn't have took it that way, but that's kind of how I went about
0: it. Mm. I see your point though, Don. And I think this is just a victim of different showrunners having different visions.
3: Especially because apparently he's been Tibishan the whole time. I don't know. It just doesn't really work
0: for me. Tibetan <laughs> Buddhism is, you know, universal. <laughs> it's on every planet. All right, let's just go ahead. Let's rip this band aid off. We get Bessie back and the hummobile and it leads to a chase over land, oh, air, and sea. Boy. And Jesus Christ. I'm surprised they didn't have the three wheelers from Day of the Daleks.
1: <laughs> I really had no idea this was coming. And then when we. Got two-thirds of the way through. In my notes, I'm not kidding. I said, I'm still waiting for the jet ski chase scene. <laughs> And then I see two guys showing up like, do-do-do. Hey, let me tie my boat up to the on next to the water. And there, I was like, oh, God, there it is. But I will say this. I went back on BritBox on Amazon Prime. It starts at 1227. It ends at 2410. I would advise you, you could just then stop it right there and watch the chase scene on the speedboats from Live and Let Die. <laughs> Instead.
0: Pertwee would be very upset at this idea because it's meaning that you're watching someone other than Pertwee. True,
1: true. But I was sitting there thinking <laughs> I was sitting there thinking about minute eight. I said, Remember when this was a science fiction show? Not a strange <laughs> episode of Top Gear starring Pertwee?
0: Christ, we get a comedy copper. The air sequence is so utterly pointless, complete with bad CSO for when the Hoomobile takes off. <laughs> <laughs> and then Pertwee gets a hovercraft, because of course he fucking gets a hovercraft.
1: Don't forget the country yokel. Oh the country yeah, the yellow, country yokel. Remember? That's our proper third Doctor era right there.
3: It is kind of ridiculous in that every time you think, okay, they've got to be winding this up. Nope, they'll stop, change vehicles. And then at the very end, the guy just disappears and teleports back to the <laughs> monastery. I'm like, well, that was pointless. <laughs> it was a gift to Pertwee. I'm going to just let it go. I'm not going to
0: complain about it. It's the first time we've had an episode sponsored by a band. Mindless self-indulgence? <laughs> exactly.
1: Oh, Our man. cliffhanger
0: here is locked in teleporting, <laughs> and we're into part three. because to hell with part two. Gosh.
2: This had a slightly long recap, but not as long as the next episode.
1: <laughs> or the episode after that. Be glad they
3: didn't recap the entire chase scene. <laughs>
1: I bet Pert we lobbied for that. He's like, I don't think people saw enough of the uh, last week. Not enough people saw. We got to put it in episode three too. I
0: mean, that would have solved all their underrunning problems with the remaining episodes.
2: I've had this problem where I've been rewatching Harry Potter, and the second that Tommy comes out from underneath the stairs, I was like, Oh no, he's living in a cupboard underneath the stairs like Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, it's so sad.
0: Oh, poor guy. <sighs>
1: And this is where Julia already alluded to it, where Lupton delves and discusses his plan. And it's you go to a meditation retreat for power is so inane and, and ridiculous.
0: My career ended because of merger activity. So now I'm going to go to a Buddhist center and plot my return to power and my takeover of the world. My revenge. It is oh my one God. of the most
2: insane things I've ever heard. I It would have made much more sense if it was something just more drastic than I work in finance. I
0: thought it was even sales, wasn't it? It was sales, Oh, sorry,
2: sales.
0: (laughs) I actually thought that John Darth, the actor, was quite good, but everything about the character is not.
2: Yes, he was wonderful. His backstory sucks. What he's trying to do sucks. Everything about it is terrible, but he was great.
0: Incidentally he was previously the voice of boss in the Green Death.
3: Wait, didn't they also bring back the headphones from the Green Death? Oh,
2: they did.
0: Duh. They did in episode one.
2: We get to see more spiders and they're all saying, Oh praise the great one. i oh, praise the great one. And this also I keep I find things that have come afterwards, and I'm like, you know, in Night Vale, they have all hailed the glow cloud. Oh, Night Vale, I It just automatically reminded me of that because everyone's just yelling and screaming. I was part of a live show of it and was yelling, screaming, all hail the glow clouds!" So I've been there. I understand spiders. I get you.
3: I once again thought of the greater good. (laughs) The greater good. good.
0: (laughs) I don't quite get the spider's power structure, right? Because they've got a queen and they have a great one who's more important than the queen. Why even have a queen? I mean, just make this a parliamentary democracy, y'all. I was about to say, does the United Kingdom? They have a queen? Do they have a great one that we're not aware of? We don't talk about that to outsiders. Mm,
2: mm-hmm, ah,
1: mm-hmm. okay.
2: I mean, and this great one is not Sheila. so there's that as well.
1: I don't
3: want to sound racist. Oh, all the spiders sounded the same to me, even though they have different voice
1: actresses. I was about to ask about that. What did everyone think about the voice of the spiders in general? I thought it was wonderfully unsettling. It is yeah.
2: unsettling. Yes, the voices
0: great.
1: Can you change an Alexa? Or a Siri to have oh, that good voice, God. That I want to know. <laughs> I hope not.
0: <laughs> we have Lupton with the spider on his back who can try to control him psychically, but he's able to do it back to her. This guy in sales <laughs> who got fired after a merger came to a Buddhist monastery <laughs> to plot his revenge is so powerful he can make this relationship go both ways. Wait, what? <laughs> who is this guy? No one will forget the name and history of <laughs> Lupton.
1: <laughs> uh, bloody hell. I agree with you completely. I thought that the actor did a fantastic job, but the character was utterly ridiculous. And not just that, his costume and how he moved, he just seemed not like a human comfortable in their own skin. He kind of looked like the character in Men in Black in the oh, first one, yeah. where it's just wearing a human skin suit. How he moves in his physical scenes, his arms don't even swing.
0: At times, I thought the way he was talking moving, he seemed drunk, which might tally with the whole uh, fired-after-merger activity thing.
3: He doesn't really look like he should be the main bad guy, yeah. essentially,
2: uh,
0: well, yeah.
3: aside from the great one. <laughs> In the final Doctor Who story, he looks like he should be henchman number four.
1: At best. at best. That's what was so strange to me, is not only were all the people at the meditation center, all these middle-aged guys, all of them were so very awkward looking yeah. there was something off about every single one of them it was almost like they were at a meditation center because something bad happened to them in their lives and maybe that's what they were hinting at because that's why yates went there because of his betrayal and his kind of going insane thing. so like were we supposed to believe that they went there as a means for mental help maybe yeah,
0: yeah i think that it was turning to buddhism and meditation as a healing thing yeah that's the implication
3: One of them, he looked like a stereotypical 1970s punch card computer programmer.
0: The guy with the glasses. Big thick
3: glasses. And his character's name was Moss. (laughs) Nice.
2: We have Sarah Jane being her badass self and trying to figure out what happens in the cellar. And it was at this moment where I was like, nothing bad better happen to Tommy. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get the bad CSO. When Sarah Jane gets transported.
3: Oh, yeah. You
0: mean the first shot of...
2: Yes. <laughs> all of
0: the scenes where there's actually a background in Metabolus 3 of the landscape, they uh, look awful.
2: So bad. Why didn't they just do location shooting? It,
0: a quarry would have looked better. Because they spent
3: all their money on the chase scene. <laughs> I'm not making a joke. I think they spent the majority of the budget on doing that <laughs> chase scene, and they didn't have any money left for the alien planet.
0: Hell, that chase scene. They called in so many favors. There's one guy who's credited. It's his only credited role in anything ever. And when I looked into it, he got a role in this because he was the owner of the hovercraft. (laughs) (laughs) That was Michael Pinder as Hopkins. I think who is one of Lutton's Uh, peons. Oh, God.
2: All right. We get to this town in Metabilis 3. This is where my nomination of probably worst acting is going to go to. The woman who plays the mother.
0: Jenny (laughs) Ladd. Yes.
2: Oh, my Ugh. God. Ugh. It was bad. It was real bad.
0: Strangely enough, she actually has a prize at RADA, one of the acting schools in the UK named after her. The Jenny Led Prize for Acting. Wow. Which is for achievement in a thankless role. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought you were about to
1: say best acting
0: versus a prop spider. But yes, she is spectacularly awful.
2: So bad. So, so bad.
0: This little society on Metabilus 3, we get thrown in at the deep end, Arak needing to be punished and Sabor sacrificing himself in his place and zero conviction in the way the mother says anything. (laughs) Then the doctor shows up, initially respects the queen, and then just fights some guards because Pertwee's going to (laughs) Pertwee. Then he gets zapped and that's our cliffhanger into part four. I've got to
1: say, up to this point, this cereal wasn't pulling me in whatsoever. It was. Just too much middle-aged guys talking and too many (laughs) chase scenes. But when the natives come in and then there's a pillowed litter for a spider, that is where (laughs) the serial went from bad goofy to good goofy real quick for me. At this point, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm with you now. Let's go for it. That was
3: almost the opposite effect for me. I was actually into the non-Buddhism Buddhism Buddhism plot. Same. And then they went to the bad CSO planet, and we introduce our characters that we've seen in a thousand thousand stories before oh, the guy that oh. doesn't trust them
1: it, the irrationally angry young hot-headed guy that wants to attack now what are we waiting for
3: yes and his good <laughs>
0: friendly heroic brother
1: hi <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: all right
0: part four let's do this and we start off with another overly long recap right. <laughs> Two
1: minutes and 10 seconds <laughs> but then after that we yates at this point i'm not kidding you i said oh i forgot yates was in this <laughs>
0: Similar thing happened to me in part six when we finally see the Brigadier again, who we <laughs> haven't seen since episode one by that time. I'm like, oh, yeah, the Brig's in this. Yeah. Oh, boy.
1: Mm. Well,
2: he was and then, in part two. He was part of the chase.
1: Anyway.
0: And then in episode four
1: is at a point where for some reason, I don't know, those spiders acting so snobby. I'm getting really irrationally angry when they start calling us two legs.
0: Did that bother <laughs> pon- <laughs> anybody else? <laughs> that's our word and yet if we call them (laughs) spiders they get mad at us we have to call them eight legs
1: which i would think eight legs is more insulting than spiders but i don't know yeah can i bring up something that
3: confused me about the plot of this yes please do so our buddhism monastery plot is taking place on finger quotes modern day earth right yes Mm -hmm. and the the spider plot is happening far in the future. Yes. What? Yes. Don't
2: ask too many questions, Don.
0: Makes my brain itch. <laughs> yeah. Wibbly wobbly and that shit. Yeah. So we need to talk about Tommy getting entranced by the crystal and being cured, basically. My
2: first reaction was, no, not Tommy, because earlier we saw the professor die. I think it was more from the other things, not just from the crystal itself. But one of my favorite things is just that his brain realigns and he goes to the library. He reads the Tiger Poem
3: mm-hmm.
2: by William Blake, mm-hmm. and it made me very happy. So, so happy.
3: I liked the way it was acted. He did a really good oh, job. Yeah. And I also like... Like that they didn't make him a super genius? Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. I like the fact that basically what they ended up doing is he could read very well, but he didn't know definitions. So he was still having to look up words because he could read them. He didn't know what it meant. And I thought that was a really neat way of doing it.
0: I also really love how he maintains his innocence, even though he's become, what's the word I'm looking for? Smirt? (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
2: A lot of times, if they're, I guess, a little bit more simple or something along those lines, usually there's something just not aligned well in their brains. So I basically just took it as a everything realigned itself.
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly.
2: But he still stayed the same. And that's why I love Tommy. Tommy's my character. I love him.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yes, he's brilliant. Back on Metabilis 3, and this kind of ties into what Don was saying, we get the story of how the colonists have been there for 433 years. And the story of their arrival is told by oral tradition, which is something I love. That's very, very Homeric. Brilliant. But they brought the spiders with them. The spiders basically mutated because of the crystals. And now the spiders have taken over. Why (laughs) did the crystals not have an impact on the humans? Very good question.
3: I think I can actually answer this. I don't think the humans were as close to the crystals. I think the Uh, spiders crawled away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going with that. That's logical.
2: They actually said the spider had crawled off.
3: Got it. That makes sense. I don't know why there's only female spiders, but that's a discussion for later.
2: Because typically they end up killing the men.
3: But we didn't see any of them.
2: Yeah, because they're not going to be part of the council. No. Men. am just, just saying. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the number of times in Peladon we were like, where are the women in Peladon?
3: Seriously. Peladon needs women.
0: <laughs> Peladon is a misogynist society. The spiders are a misandrist society. I mean, it had to happen somewhere. <laughs> yeah.
2: But we also got two other wonderful clothing those captionings where i got warbling intensifies oh and warbling continues
0: <laughs> i can't wait to do a super cut of all the intensifies captions <laughs> <laughs> intensification intensifies <laughs> <laughs>
2: glad i can help guys
1: Thank you, Julie. Mm -hmm. We kind of skipped over the fact that the doctor has gotten
0: like critically injured. Yeah, another fake out of him about to die since we had two of them Mm -hmm. in the monster of Peladon.
1: Well, he, on kind of a deathbed kind of thing, asked Sarah to go into the TARDIS, grab a useless, weird doohickey that we're never going to see again. (laughs) And have never seen before. and exactly. And come in there because that's all he needs to zap whatever that their little zap to him did, that will zap something back into him that'll make him fine. So then she tries to, you know, sneak out there and she gets caught. Gets brought to Spider City. Yeah. And in Spider City, she eventually gets swaddled into a web with the patriarch uh Venus name is Sabor. Saber. Saber, right. Which those scenes between the two of them when they're all webbed up were so funny to me because of just... And, I, and the show did a good job of playing out the humor of, of Saber up yes. there. And I kept thinking every time I saw him and what he was saying about just how doomed they were and just being okay with it. It was like the Who equivalent of the James Franco meme on the gallows saying first time. <laughs> it's like, it was exactly that. Yes. And I do appreciate that later on the doctor then calls him out on it in a very clever moment.
3: I thought he was the most Zen character we've had. He
1: would do great at the monastery. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think one of my favorite. Favorite parts, though, is when we get to the cliffhanger after the doctor magically wakes back up and has his leisurely breakfast, and he gets captured because he's an idiot. <laughs> And he comes in, and Sarah Jane's like, Oh, doctor. And then he points back, and then she, in the most depressing manner, is like, Oh, doctor. And
1: then that, <laughs> and
0: that's the cliffhanger. Once you know that the cliffhangers had to get reorganized, it kind of makes sense that we have such a weak one.
2: It was so funny. I though. mean, come on. Yeah.
3: It's weak, but
1: it's funny. Yes. Is this after or before the doctor convinces all the humans there to put rocks on their head?
2: He has figured that out. It was, he right. was trying to rescue her with the. The thing and then he dropped it and didn't pick it back up because he's a moron
1: right yeah <laughs> which makes me wonder I was really wishing that that whole plot line with the framing some rocks I'm gonna find a mineral that will protect you from the zaps did anyone else hope that he was gonna do kind of the Dumbo and the magic feather thing with them to try to give them the courage <laughs> to go in there yeah a little bit or at the very least just do it as like a, a gag to see if he could get them all to put rocks on their heads <laughs> Just as a
0: joke. (laughs) Anyway, I I think that brings us to episode five. That does. I did notice in the reprise, when the doctor gets into a fight, loses and gets captured again, he says, this is getting monotonous. (laughs) Same doctor, same. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh I love
2: the moment when the doctor is attempting to name drop as he loves to name drop.
0: Oh, And then
2: can't remember Houdini's last name. Good job.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then just on a strange tangent, I was very fascinated by the humans that were the immediate servants to the spiders, especially the fact that their costume, very similar to costumes that people wore in the Emerald City in the Wizard of Oz. (laughs)
0: I know that is bizarre, but I'm telling you, it is there. You can look it up. But they also had shoulder pads that would not make them out of place in Frontier in Space. Mm,
1: yes. Yeah. Well, so the doctor does his Houdini.
0: Yep. yep.
1: And he gets out. But then Sarah Jane has provided a proposition. Ooh. Ooh.
3: I don't like the way you phrased that.
1: <laughs> that sounded a lot better than it was. Not a sexy proposition. <laughs> a very icky, <laughs> grody proposition. Yes.
3: Ooh. You don't know does this spider Uh, on my back make my ass look big just (laughs) ask
1: oh and then we have the doctor going and getting his first meet up with the great one who
2: is a whiny bitch Amazing. Are you going to disagree with me on
1: that? I agree, but the Great One is not intimidated by the Doctor at all, really literally puts the Doctor through his paces with that weird march in place thing.
0: Yeah, she turns him into a puppet, which is impressive. Very. I don't think we've really come across anyone else who has been able to just flat out control the Doctor.
1: I mean, how many mind control machines has the Doctor beaten on his own? The third Doctor in particular?
2: Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah.
1: So there you go. Yeah, it was... That's where all of a sudden, the half of episode five just feels like so much is crammed in all at once like there's mm. so much craziness going on the spiders can't decide what they want to do the two legs are invading the doctor's marching in plates yates gets zapped sarah jane can now teleport using her mind and tommy is like smart now and the zaps have no effect on tommy what the f is yes. happening it just all happens at
0: once you left out the cso cave of doom <laughs> Where the Great One lives. Oh.
2: It's a lot going on and not a lot of it gets explained. It's a little frustrating because you've got these spiders who forever are all hailing the Great One and then yet they can't figure out what they want to do. Well, I thought you lived and died by what the Great One said, so I don't know why there's questions as to what they're going to do. And then you've got the fact that Tommy can withstand a blast makes zero sense.
3: Yeah. Do you not understand? His innocence protect him.
2: (laughs) How? Uh,
3: if this wasn't Pertwee's final serial, it wouldn't have surprised me at all if he just hopped in the TARDIS and went to the planet of the giant rolled up newspapers, came back, <laughs> knocked everything out.
2: That whole innocence thing does not fly right. with
1: me. Yeah. What makes it even more difficult is that all these sudden, sudden major plot events all stacked up right on top of each other are then complicated because then we have that hell of a long recap on the beginning of <laughs> episode six. I was questioning my own like sanity at that point. Like, am I going senile? What is happening? <laughs> I'm seeing a recap and then there's other scenes that weren't there that are included. And like I said, Tommy can resist saps. Gates is dead on the floor in the basement. What is happening? I don't know.
0: I'm not going to say that you're not going senile, but that is not a sign of you going senile. You did not imagine that.
1: The
2: doctor goes to Campo and we get that phrase, there's no need for symbols between you and I. And I'm immediately like, oh, it's his old like mentor person, the weird hippie guy. (laughs) Okay, that's fine.
0: Also, the doctor talking about the crystal and how he basically stole it, but he didn't realize at the time that it was theft. Okay, that's very um, colonial of you doctor yeah.
3: he took it from a cave
0: and it wasn't for knowledge he was trying to impress joe oh. come yeah. on yeah the whole knowledge thing is definitely a retcon
2: and the weird thing too as well is i still don't understand why it was a big deal that he took it it wasn't the great ones fact, actually she should never have gotten it so i don't understand why it's a big deal that he took it
0: plundering the natural resources of another place Basically. Uh-huh.
2: One, okay. If I took a pebble from somewhere uh, in Poland and I brought it back with me.
0: If it was the one last perfect pebble of power, yes, that would be a problem. <laughs> the Except most perfect pebble of power.
2: Who else was going to use it? But if you
3: <laughs> left it there, Poland would have exploded.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <sighs> it's not particularly coherent.
1: And that's why there's a scene in episode six where there's a panning shot of the spider parliament and they're all humming and it's a pan shot. And then it ends on Lupton in complete bewilderment and confusion. He's like, what is going on? (laughs) That is my feeling of the serial at this point.
0: That's because he suddenly realized that if there is a spider parliament, that also must be a spider funkadelic.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Are we on part six now? Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Yes.
2: Okay, great. We already mentioned the whole recap thing. So what happens is it recaps to about two minutes and 20 seconds, and then there's new stuff. Mm -hmm. And then at 4.15 is when we actually get the last part of what was originally in part five.
0: That's so awkwardly done. (laughs) It's unbelievable.
2: (laughs) So bad. (laughs) It's a mess. (laughs) The whole Sarah Jane bit under control of the Queen is... All within that two-minute gap. Oh, my gosh. So weird.
0: I was definitely thinking, was I just not paying attention? Even though I literally watched parts five and six back to back, I was like, (laughs) did I just miss something here? I did the same. The
1: best part is that when you have that recap of the standoff with Tommy outside of the room with all of Lupton's minions there, just point out how ridiculous that scene was because it's like, okay, let's all zap them all at once. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, let's zap them uh, one at a time. No, that didn't work either. Okay, let's do like, let's do three and then one, maybe a little bit of this, a little bit of that. (laughs) Let's go like, you know, odd and then even. I mean, it was getting ridiculous.
2: I appreciate the fact that they had Tommy fix his brain and all of that, but I really didn't like the fact that he all of a sudden was just like a superhero. I didn't like that part of it.
1: It wasn't like it didn't hurt him. It didn't hurt him in the long run, but it didn't feel good. I mean, he's <laughs> up there. He's in pain. That's not nice. He's basically taking a beating. Yeah. <laughs> Poor
0: Tommy. But he survived. So that's what's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: We also have Sarah Jane being able to conquer the queen because of the crystal, because somehow Campo has the crystal, even though Tommy had left it in a first aid kit. Mm-hmm. It just, it's so weird. I don't like any of it. <laughs> <And> it just <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense.
0: Don has gone quite quiet, which yeah. means he's got nothing good to say. This
3: is the terrible thing. <laughs> the worst thing. I don't hate this cereal. <laughs>
2: oh. No, I don't either. It's just...
3: uh. It's incoherent. It tries to add things to the lore that, to me, that doesn't make any sense. No, just stop. At the same time, I enjoyed it. I don't understand the Tommy superhero thing, but by that time, I'm like, okay,
0: whatever.
2: Boy, yeah, sounds pretty much it. We also get Sarah Jane learning about regeneration before it actually happens to the Doctor. So that's nice, at least.
0: Yeah, I mean, it happening to Campo and also Campo explicitly naming it for the first time. New piece of law. So yay. But yeah, that's obvious foreshadowing to kind of remind the audience what's going to happen to the Doctor and that everything will fine. It's a bit ham-fisted, but it works. They do that and it's fine. You're going to do that 12 minutes before it happens. But then
1: they also then do it again 30 seconds before it happens with Koji showing up. Yeah. Which at that point, I'm like, you did this literally 12 minutes ago. You don't need to do it again. It's fine.
3: Are we going to talk about that and skip the rest?
1: No, no, we got to talk. We have to talk about the great one. The end of The Great One.
3: Then we'll mention Koji later. Yes, the end of The Great One. The end of The Great One.
1: One positive for The Great One, despite being a whiny bitch. Definitely has better goals. Doesn't want to just want Earth aims higher. You gotta appreciate that.
0: Yeah, she wants to be all-knowing and all-powerful. I respect that. (laughs) Same girl, same. A small part
2: of me was a little disappointed that the Great One was a spider. Kind of wanted the Great One to be something completely different.
0: Yeah, that would've been good. Imagine if it had been a Zol. (laughs) Or a (laughs) manamtra.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Oh, man. But, yeah, that whole thing was interesting. The Doctor going to sacrifice himself. I just love the fact that he tries to convince the Great One not to do it, but it's like really half-hearted. It's like, oh no, don't. It's kind of like the Willy Wonka of it all. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But here's my question for you. It was alluded several times. I think even in the episode before it, what does the third doctor fear? What is his fear? He says he faces his fear. That's why he had to go.
0: I mean, the only thing I can think of is this is death.
1: That's the only thing I can think of too, but I just feel like it wasn't that clear.
2: Well, it's also so weird because the thing that brought him to this was him wanting knowledge too much. Mm-hmm. And yet his fear is not connected with that at all.
1: No. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And that's what I don't like about that. I wanted his fear to be connected to the thing that he was doing so that it actually made sense. I did like he conquered it, but that's not. Uh.
0: I know we've already touched on it, but the thirst for knowledge. We've always seen him want to learn and want to know new things, but I don't think we've ever seen his desire for knowledge being dangerous. No, no we haven't. No. It's just kind of dropped in here out of nowhere just to fit with whatever Buddhist message Barry Letts wanted to put out that week.
2: And it's so frustrating because usually a thirst for knowledge is a good thing. There are certain circumstances where it's bad, but they didn't show that. Again, the reason why we're saying didn't think the doctor it was a, that big of a deal for him because he was never a dick about it.
0: And this doctor was a dick about many yes. things over his run. yes. What is your greatest fear? Not being a dick. (laughs) That's hard to write a
2: story around. But are we going to get to this final piece? Let's do it. I think my favorite thing about this regeneration is the fact that the brigadier is there.
1: Mm-hmm, that's good.
2: <laughs> and he was like, oh no, not again.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, mm-hmm. His line of, well, here we go again was apparently ad-libbed by Nicholas Courtney. That was not scripted. Good oh, job.
2: Beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous. I was sad that Benton wasn't there to see it as well, but at least the brigadier was there.
1: It was absolutely shocking to me. You know I like to say that there's a lot of similarity between Pertwee, and Shatner. I cannot believe that The Great One had a more
0: over-the-top dramatic death scene than Pertwee did. That is shocking to me. Can we give The Great One's death some points on the camp count? Yes. Absolutely. Sure. What are we going to give it? Three or four. No one cares. Just do it. (laughs) We're
2: going with four. (laughs) Okay.
1: I cannot believe that Pertwee... Just laid there and took it? Just like in his line. And his line was just... To go out on a non-completed line, it was shocking to me. I thought he was going to give like a one-minute monologue at least.
0: And I think what's different here is the Doctor dies. We watch him die. Sarah closes his eyes with every other time we see a regeneration before the doctor actually dies. But I am left under no delusions. He dies here. That's
3: awful. He's been missing for a few weeks, lost in the time vortex. How many big finish stories exist in that time frame?
0: (laughs) Surprisingly, I don't think there are any. I am shocked. I could be wrong. So listeners, if you know any different, please let us know.
3: This is another thing I don't think quite works. I like that Sarah Jane and the Brigadier are there. I don't like Kanpo or Shoji or whatever you want to call him, floating there like the Great Gazoo.
1: That's exactly (laughs) what I was thinking.
3: (laughs) This does not work. This completely ruins this. It really does.
0: It's not the worst we will get, though. But yeah, overall, I agree. So Tom Baker appears. Who's that guy? Who is that guy? It's the end of an era and the end of this serial. Let's rate this. Riley, we start with you this time.
1: This one is just bizarre. Tibetan meditation, a gang of middle-aged men, James Bond chase scenes, a human uprising, and spiders. It feels literally like a random collection of ideas thrown into a bag. I think it's my own personal bias, but I don't feel like the serial really interested me until we got to Metabellus 3. There, at least the insanity could be attributed to being on an alien planet, so it felt a little bit more natural. The mood is really weird, too. I-, I swear to you, there was more sorrow conveyed when Joe left the show than it was when the doctor died. Anyway, it's the last episode of A Doctor. It's required watching, but I don't think there's much reason to come back to this one other than its complete, utter goofiness. So I'm going to give it five Om Mani Padme homes out of ten.
0: All right, that leads us to me. After the monster of Peladon, and now this, I'm glad that this era is over.
2: (laughs) Wow.
0: (laughs) Make sure to leave a message on our Facebook. (laughs) I don't think that this is necessarily bad, but it feels to me like the Let's and Dicks format has just got a bit tired by this point. After four and a half seasons, I'm ready for a new approach. I think I feel very similarly to Riley. This story's a bit of a mess. I get why they had to come back and recalibrate and change their approach after Delgado died and they couldn't do the story they originally wanted to do. As Renny said, this is a bit of a random jumble of ideas, almost as if they've been pulled out of a hat in the same way you'd get in a Terry Nation serial. It just doesn't quite work for me. Certainly, it doesn't feel like something of the scale for the end of a Doctor. It's not a Tenth Planet, or it's not a War Games. It doesn't quite sit up there with those. And it has its other problems. Choji, that whole portrayal is, I think, unintentional, but still kind of racist. There's just so much self-indulgence here that, while I get they wanted to thank John Pertwee for his service, for God's sake, don't make the audience sit through 12 goddamn minutes for Chase. So I think, like Riley, I'm going to give this one five gadgets that we've never seen before and we'll never see again. <laughs> Julie, we'll go with you next.
2: There's not much really to say after what everyone else has said. This was definitely a an idea bag and throw things on a wall, see what sticks and just go with it. It's all over the place. It's very incoherent. The only shining light in this whole thing to me is Tommy. So I'm also going to go with five whiny bitches out of 10. <laughs>
0: and then last but very much not least don i don't know how i can top whiny bitches
3: but i'll certainly try (laughs) i think i enjoyed it more than the rest of you lord knows why but there it is (laughs) i'm left with the feeling that they wanted to try and celebrate the Pertwee era, rather than have a funeral for it. So that's why we get so many of the greatest hits, the action man thing, the 12-minute chase scene, that kind of stuff. I'm also left wondering if Barry Lentz actually knows what Buddhism is? (laughs) And based on this, I'm going to have to say no. But there were a lot of little things I liked. I especially liked the character interactions. I liked that for the past two serials he's been in, I actually kind of gave a crap about Yates as a character, which is weird, and it just feels odd coming out my mouth the little interactions between the brigadier and the doctor i like benton the few scenes he was in So I don't think it's bad. I think it's insane, but it's fairly enjoyable and has a lot of WTF moments. I'm giving it seven indulgent
0: car chases out of ten. Wow, Don. I would not have expected you to give this the best score out of the four of us. But Me neither. (laughs) That gives us a story average of 5.5. Where that fits in in the season, you will have to either go back and listen to our previous episodes or tune in next time when we'll be doing our season 11 retrospective. After that, we will be doing a John Pertwee-era retrospective, so it's going to be a while before we start on the legendary Tom Baker, but keep listening. We'll be back with that soon enough. In the meantime, as always, thank you so very much for listening, and have a good one. You have been listening to Watches in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philipek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Cloudy with a Chance of Metabilis, was recorded on Wednesday, the 6th of July, 2022. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at watchers4d at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, if you get fired from your job in sales, you probably won't find the path to unlimited power at your local Buddhist center.